When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit. Binge boys is the show and you are the person listening to it. But I don't have to tell you who you are, because you know who you are, right? Unless you're Maybe. having a little episode. I mean, yeah, you never know. Unless you're in a fugue state, unless you've had a psychotic break. But God forbid. The moment you started our podcast, what terrible time. I know. To have a psychotic break right as you start just, you know, you're on your commute, you're listening to Binge Boys, and then you suddenly have a psychotic break. Yeah, I would hope you could get a nice Binge Boys episode and in. You're like, who am I? And then Hal is like, you're you. You're like, oh, oh boy. okay, okay, thank God. I'm Hal Rudnick. Across from me on the Zoom is the bearded menace, Lon Harris. That's me. That's Lon, it's raining in Los Angeles. Do it you is. walk your dog in the rain, or how does does that change? Uh, he does not. He does not like the rain. Taco's not a fan of the rain, and it. I. I if, I, if I'm going to get him outside at all, I got to kind of trick him. I got to kind of like mm. not not let him know it's raining until it's too late. Because if he sees that it's raining, uh, <laughs> he will just refuse. He, he really will. He'll just refuse to walk and I'd have to drag him. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't. It, here's, what's, here's what's interesting. Because Taco will not. It, it, and it's not like he's respectful. He just he won't go in the apartment. Like he, he it's his it's his room. He doesn't want to poop or pee in his room, so he just right. doesn't. It's not like I trained him so well. He just doesn't like to go indoors. But I a don't respectful know, pup. I don't know what his contingency plan is though. Like if it's raining, he'll refuse to go out, and eventually I'll have to just carry him out there and force him because I know like he's gonna burst. But I don't yeah. know, like, in his mind, what is his backup plan? Like, I don't want to piss in my house. I refuse to go outside and piss. Like, I'll just never pee again? Is that what goes on in a dog's brain? You know what? I, I wish my dogs uh, were as respectful. Uh, Lu- Lucci and Wayne over here, they will piss and shit with reckless abandon. Even on the balcony, he doesn't like to, you know, it's, it's outside. But even there, he won't really, I have to get him outside if he's going to really go. Like, fully. Oh. Like, to commit. A good boy indeed. He Taco is a good the dog. Boy. Taco is a good boy. Well, I, you know, I, I worry sometimes too when I, you know, if I leave him here for a long time, because it's like, mm-hmm. not like, you know, I, it's hardwood floors here in my apartment. I'm not even that worried he's going to like poop or piss. I'm more worried he's not going to and he's just going to like, you know, explode because he refuses to poop or piss. Oh, God forbid. Yeah, yeah. He, could, he could have a bowel rupture exactly, or something. Exactly, exactly. That's the big Oh, Taco, come on, for your own good. You know what? I could talk about Taco's bowel movements, etc. I, I know day. that you could because that's how you open the show very regularly. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, talking about Taco's regularity. Talk about taco, Taco's bowel movements, sure. But we have news to get to. It's the news with Lon. Let's start off with I want to talk about the streaming 
industry. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk business. Well, this whole podcast is about the streaming. It's about streaming shows we like. But I, I want to delve. I think this is an interesting. So the the ad revenue, the ad market is taking a huge hit right now. All, all the big companies, nobody wants to buy commercials right now. That's the first thing they cut when it's a recession, when there's mm-hmm. inflation concerns, when when there's it's a down economic time. The first thing to go is companies are like, we're going to pull back on commercials and especially with car companies because there's still all of these supply chain issues. It's a right. slow time in the automotive industry and that's there, if you think about, you know, when you watch your your football game or whatever, who's the big advertiser? It's always Ford, Chevy, yeah, Ram Nissan, trucks, Toyota Ram, Tundra. Exactly. Uh, so when they pull back on their advertising spend, it sends shockwaves through the entire industry. And when we talk about all these streaming companies, they're all companies that own either broadcast or cable TV networks right. or ad-supported streaming platforms or sometimes both. You know, you've got like Fox, which owns Fox News, Tubi. They're totally relying on ads on all of these places. Yeah, or like Amazon, you're they're playing sports during the broadcast. Well, they're not running ads be- though. I mean they are, okay. they are. They do have they do have an ad stream. So you're right. But it's it's if you're like let's say you're Comcast and you own NBC yes. Universal. So you've got Peacock which has an ad supported angle on it. You know, there's there's ads on yep. certain plans on Peacock. NBC, you're relying on ads, but then there's also your whole suite of cable networks and you're relying on on ads. So it's it's these are ad-driven businesses, but then you think about something like YouTube as well. It's totally ad-driven or Roku. They're relying on selling all those ads. So when the ad market takes a hit, this entire industry takes a hit. They feel reverberations. And depending on how bad it gets, we could start to see more big sweeping changes and consolidation. If all of these companies take a long time to recover, because, you know, we're, we're seeing disappointing Q3 returns from companies like Lionsgate, from companies like AMC Networks, these smaller companies that are struggling to survive, and there may be what happened to Discovery in their future, which is, you know, Discovery was another one of those that was kind of like, it had a lot of cable networks, it has a lot of revenue, but kind of could it survive on its own? It had to join forces with Warner Media to become right. WB Discovery. We could see the same thing, that AMC, Lionsgate, it's going to become, it's already hard, it's going to become impossible for them to survive on their own. They're going to have no choice but to sell to Comcast or to sell Will to WBD. Will they get swallowed up by a big boy? So we'll go from like, you know, 10 different uh, uh, companies controlling media to down to uh, eight, then seven. Yeah. That, and then then it'll all be just uh, Disney. Right. It, it, it's 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 going to become harder and harder for these smaller niche services to survive. For, for a while, it looked like AMC's plan might work. And it's still I don't want to say it's definitely not going to. You know, they've got AMC Plus. They've got Acorn TV. They've got Shutter. They've got, you know, all these smaller niche services. You don't need to sign up for, it's not a $20 a month AMC service. It's a $5 a month thing here or a $3 a month thing here or a $6 mm-hmm. a month thing here. And it's kind of a la carte. And you can get those services through Roku or through Amazon channels or through YouTube now. Um, so it's a it's an interesting strategy. And they get to keep making, you know, AMC's high quality original shows. Interview with the right. Vampire now, Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. But... It, it still kind of leaves them, they're not the biggest player. They're kind of hovering in this middle ground where there's Disney and Netflix and HBO, and then there's, you know, a smaller player in that 
in that sort of marketplace like yeah, then AMC. Yeah, Showtime and yeah. Right. Well, Showtime already we're ba- it, it it almost looks like Showtime is going to functionally stop to exi- cease existing as its own platform and become part of Paramount Plus. But even that might be enough. Paramount Plus is another one that we may see eventually join for. They may have to join forces with another media company and and, and team up. There's just not enough paying streaming subscribers to keep 10, 12, 15 platforms going without ad revenue if the ad revenue is going to dry up. So Yeah, like, like no, I don't think anyone anticipated just how many streamers. I mean, we should have, you know, just knowing that like, oh, people are going to jump on board. But when it was just initially, uh, you know, Netflix and then yeah. Hulu and then Disney Plus and then Screen Junkies Plus. Yeah, you figured, oh, that got would in be there it. early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people. I, I think there was the assumption. It's overwhelming. I think there was the assumption that more people would do what Sony did. So Sony, you know, years ago they owned Crackle, which didn't yes. take off, and Sony made the decision rather than trying to grow Crackle and make it Sony Plus and do that. They were like, forget it. We don't need our own a la carte service. We'll just keep making our shows and films and we'll just license. We'll sell them to the people who will have their own streaming platforms. So Sony movies go to Netflix. That's where, you know, when Spider-Man No Way Home is ready to go on streaming, there's no Sony Plus platform. So it just goes to Netflix and then eventually Mm -hmm. ends up on Disney Plus because that's where the Marvel stuff goes. And, And so Sony Pictures Television still makes a ton of shows. They just don't go to... And I think... The assumption was more companies would do that, that rather than Lionsgate having the Stars streaming platform and all of their content goes to Stars, they would just, you know, license it to, to all the other platforms. And and uh, that didn't happen. Instead, everybody was like, no, I want, you know, it, we're Paramount, we're going to make Paramount Plus and it's going to be where our, everybody wanted their own direct-to-consumer product. And so... Yeah, now we're in this situation where there's 10, 12, 15 big competitors, and, and that's probably not going to last. And, I mean, seeing, like, Peacock, it looks like they're they're, they're going to be the first ones to go. The, the numbers are just bad and dwindling and not getting better. And that mm-hmm. they're – I think the key thing with Peacock is it's not even like the shows are bad. Like, people like the shows in the movies they're Oh, no, we've talked about out. many of them right. here. Like Girls 5 Eva was the example. They're going to start showing that on Netflix. It's a good mm. show. People like it. They're bringing it back for a third season, but it can't live on Peacock because nobody watches Peacock. Yeah, it's just it's just too unwieldy. There's, there's too many subscriptions. I wonder how many streaming services. I mean, have you talked about this in your inside streaming newsletter at all? Like, what's the average number of streaming services the American consumer subscribes to i mean it, it, it sort of shifts a little bit over time but it's, it's like three three to four yeah. that's that's about where people cap out and then beyond that it just becomes unwieldy it's also it's weird because of App, apple and amazon kind of throw it up for a lot of people they don't think of their amazon account as a streaming service a lot of people have amazon for the prime delivery yeah that that shipping deal so mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people have Amazon Prime for the shipping deal and have never even watched uh, a show like that. That's oh. still a big number. Yeah, they don't even realize. Right, they might not even know it's a that. streaming service. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so that like it, it, it's always unclear. How do we count that? Like, do we count having if you have an Amazon Prime shipping deal? Do we count that as you having a streaming service or not? Unless you watch Amazon Prime content. But yeah, functionally, it's around. I think around three. 
for for most households. And then after that, they're like, that's it's just a it's not even an expense. Even if you're a wealthier household that could afford it, I think it's like a mental block. It's like, well, I'm already spending this. That's too much content. I don't even have time to watch all of the shows on all the services I have. I'm not going to spend. Yeah, it goes against my principles. Right, exactly. I think that is a big mental block for people. And I, I think some of these services like Peacock and AMC Plus, they're behind the eight ball a little bit because they don't have the the archive of material, right. the treasure trove of material. I mean, they probably surprise you if you really get down in there and start rifling through or searching what they have. Well, I mean, yeah, like that. that is like AMC. They've got a pretty good archive of past, you know, AMC shows, your, your Mad Men's, your Halts and Catch Fires. And like Acorn TV, that's mostly what it is, is just an, a treasure trove of classic British shows from from right. years past so i i i do think a lot of them would surprise you but but you bring up a good point which is how do you even promote that i mean peacock paramount plus a lot of them have archives going back years and years but that's not the kind of sexy content that you use to sell a service like if i'm going to sell you on paramount plus i'm going to be like mayor of kingstown baby Yellowstone prequels, new Beavis and Butthead episodes. We're bringing back, you know, this show, this revival series, American Gigolo, Fatal Attraction, Halo. I, I, you know, maybe I would note that they've got every classic season of CBS's Perry Mason on there. I enjoy watching that mm -hmm. stuff. But, like, it's harder to sell people on that, even if it would be a selling point for some of them. It, it is. And then when you're competing against someone like Netflix, who's just got, like, endless shows that you can discover, even though um, sh some of the shine has left the apple of Netflix, the, the they still have just so much content. It's tough to compete with. A few of these big legacy companies really come with a strong advantage there just yeah. because, yeah, they own the archive of Paramount or Warner Brothers or Universal, and they've got a lot of that stuff up there. But, right. uh, you know, I, I, I mean, it, it, it's just we're in an interesting time right now, and I think that this, like, it, it depends on whenever ad revenue comes back. If it's if it's later this year versus next year versus two years from now, could make a huge difference in the, the streaming landscape. Yeah, and from the and, and I, I'll just say, you know, historically, ad revenue is the straw that stirs the drink. It not just streaming. TV wise, like yeah. th that is that is why Americans have televisions in their homes. It was put they were oh how do we get these messages for consumers to spend after World War II? Yeah, they had to tell you on your your Philip Morris every everybody every or every TV um, show was, your shiny new kitchenette. Yeah, it's the one with tar. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, that did you, did you watch that that Jeffrey Dahmer, the Dahmer monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story about the monster Dahmer? I did watch it. I did watch it. It was it, it was you know it was absolutely like a car crash. That it was fascinating yeah. and horrifying, but I couldn't look away. But the performances really drove it. Uh, Evan, Evan Phillips, Richard Jenkins, Richard Jenkins, and. Niecy Nash, so good. Right. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of creeps and weirdos like you watched it. A lot of depraved minds out there uh, watched that show. Almost listen, a, now I know how to be a successful serial killer. Near, it nearly a me. billion. It's been streamed for nearly a billion hours so far on Netflix. It's one of their most popular English language shows of all time. Great job, everybody. You've mm -hmm. done it. You did not so watch now, it. I'm, I take I've it. not. I've not seen it. I don't. What do I? I, I know what he did. You're he a man of principle. People. You're a man of I principle. Know, you don't want to see. I, it's really not. 
it's really not a principle. I just, I don't care. Like, I don't, I'm not interested. You, you don't want to. Uh, I believe see, Evan Peters can act like Jeffrey Dahmer. You, you, you don't want to see Evan Peters drink a bag of blood? No, not, I like, not at all. Like, I really, like, I don't. I don't find Jeff like, and it's not even like I don't like serial killer stuff. Like I do, I'll, I'll like I like you know I like serial killer movies or whatever. But I don't. I, I've read about what Jeffrey Dahmer did, and it's just gross. I, there's nothing enlightening. It is fucking grisly, and it definitely no. It gave me the heebie-jeebies. It totally gave me the heebie-jeebies. I don't think there's anything to be gained by watching a guy cosplay as as Jeffrey Dahmer. It really, it really does nothing. Do you think to it's me. exploitative you, to the victims and their families? Sure. I mean, of course yeah. I do. Like, I don't even think that's a question. Of course I do. And, 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 you know, if it was a case of like, well, does the artistic merit outweigh, you know, I would consider that. But I think in this case, the answer everybody had was like, no. Like, even the show's defenders were like, I liked it, but they, they shouldn't have done that to the victim's family. So it was like, I don't. And I, I just like, uh, Ryan Murphy makes trash and, and I can enjoy trash. I don't mind trash TV, but... Not about. I don't want to watch Jeffrey Dahmer. I watched. I'll watch Trash TV about Nurse Ratchet. That sounds fine. Okay. What about what about the tr what about the true crime of the assassination of uh, Gianni Versace? I didn't like that one. I liked the OJ one. I thought the Versace one was boring. I really didn't care. See, oh, I I liked it. I thought Darren Chris was excellent. Yeah, he was fine. But I, what was the point? I don't. I'm not sure Brian Murphy. I don't. I don't feel like Ryan Murphy goes into making new shows yeah. and asks himself, what's the point? I don't feel, I feel like he just like, oh, I like this. This is a great looking set. This, this is going to be a cool looking scene. And you and McGregor would be fun to see in this. And I like, I'm excited to bring this world to the screen, but I don't think he ever really thinks about like, do I have a point? Am I saying anything? And I think a lot of the shows just kind of sit there and you're like, yep. That's a show. You made you made one. I agree that, uh, well, I think he does say, is this sensational? Does this have shock right, value? But that, but, but that's that's a not something different. Oh, no, the, no, I'm saying that's what, yeah. like, it's absolutely premeditated. That's a, yeah, but, is this yeah, going to make people's, people's wieners hard is a different question than do I have, a, am I making a point here? <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, is, is, is this salacious? And, and my wiener was hard the entire time. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, no, I didn't, I didn't watch it and I'm, I'm ashamed of all of you, but uh, yes. you're, you're, but great job everyone, because now they're going to make two more seasons. All right. Of, uh, yeah. Come of down of off monster. your, come down off your soapbox and tell yeah, us what's happening. It'll be, um, I'll step down from, from the, the top of Mount Pius. Yes. Uh, so it was uh my, Monster colon Dahmer colon the Jeffrey Dahmer story will now be monster colon someone else colon the someone else story. We're going to get two more seasons of stories of other monstrous figures who have impacted society. So that's my question for you, Hal, is any any who would your monster for season two be? Right. Well, who, who you would know, your pick for who should they? I think John Wayne Gacy is the early guess. A lot well, of people that's are like, because he had a little cameo. Right. So, the, the right. so, so people are like, oh, they're, they'll do Gacy after this one. It'll be like a shared universe. Yeah. So a shared serial killer universe. So G Gacy makes that? a lot of sense. Uh, oh, but here's one that I've only heard like mentioned and brought up here and there. And he's actually he's actually brought up in the Dahmer series, but I don't remember seeing anything about him. Uh, Ed Gein. Ed Gein is a is is one of the most horrific guys. He's he's really famous because he he was considered the inspiration for a lot of classic movie 
serial killers. Silence like, of the Lambs. Silence of the you know, Thomas Harris sort of drew some inspiration from Ed Gein. And there's a lot of movies that they like, they, they kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, yeah, Leatherface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah. So actually just doing a deep dive into that grisly mother effort it would be interesting. So, uh, but yeah, definitely uh, John Wayne Gacy. Um, we already had Aileen Mornos. She's, uh, she, she was the I monster in Monster. The, I, I think that's kind of the point is like, we, we've, we've dramatized almost all of these people at this point. Like, like, like that's kind of what he's doing is it's sort of these pastiche of like, let's do it again. Who should we cast as your favorite serial killer? Like, that's what I think is gross about this whole thing. It feels like, it's like, it's like what Marvel does, like where it's fun to fan cast, like who should be Mr. Fantastic? And I feel like he's kind of got us doing that now with like, oh, who should be Ted Bundy? And it's like, well, fuck that. That's gross. Like, Well, but we've already, we've already also, had Zach movies. Also, a bad choice to be yeah, Ted Bundy. Yeah, we, we've already had, yeah, we had him as Ted Bundy. Yeah, right, there, there that's was, what I mean. Like, we, we keep doing it. Well, before this, we already had, there were at least a, one or two uh, Dahmer dramatizations. There was My Friend yeah, there's Dahmer. Yeah, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner played Dahmer memorably. He was, mm -hmm, he was in a mm -hmm. different Dahmer. I think that one's just called Dahmer. <laughs> This feels differently. I think you're we you, we're you know we're hitting on it, and you're t absolutely touching on it. This feels different than something like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or uh, some of these other some of the other serial killer fare. Because yeah, like the marvelization of like who should we cast, and we are like. I hate to say it, but you almost start to feel sympathy for this character. It really humanizes them, and it's like, oh, do I need that? Do I need no, to feel? I don't think we. I don't think we need this stuff at all. I. I don't know. I over the. I've always. If you go back and listen to the archive of Binge Boys, now that we're nearing a hundred episodes, you can yeah. just hear my squeamishness about true crime increasing oh. in real time over the course of the show. I No, I absolutely agree with you in as much as there's true crime that feels cheap and tawdry as opposed to true crime that feels like, okay, this feels like an actual investigative, this has journalistic integrity. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Ryan Murphy, the, his other true crime show of the moment, The Watcher, uh, which is very loosely inspired by this real house in New Jersey mm -hmm. that this stalker was sending letters, creepy letters to, that that has also been renewed for season two with uh, Naomi Watts, Bobby Cannavale. So that one is coming back for for another season. Of I was so so on the Watcher. I, I I didn't I didn't love it. I it didn't it didn't grab me. They're calling it true crime, but that one is. It, there is a house in New Jersey that this couple moved into, and yeah. then they started getting creepy letters. But that's it. Everything else in that show is totally made up for the show. Yeah, that left me a little cold. Did you watch the Watcher? No. Who, I wa who I watches the Watcher? That's the Watchman. Yes. Uh, and the answer is uh, not long. Not Alan Moore. Yes, I oh. watched The Watchmen. Oh yeah, not no, uh, I I was surprised to see Alan Moore did not care for HBO's uh, The Watchmen. No, he doesn't care for anybody touching anything that he's ever worked on. He's <laughs> I, the only I love one that's that allowed. show. Only he's allowed. Okay. Uh, according to a new report in the Wrap, Kanye quote Yay oh. West. I guess we just call him Yay now. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? I'll call him whatever he if he if he's gonna be an anti Semite, I'll call him whatever yeah. the fuck. Classic Jew hater. Uh, yeah. Kanye West made a number of controversial comments about various conspiracy theories. He he's not selective. He likes them all. Mm -hmm. During a 2019 interview with David Letterman, this was for season two of uh Letterman's Netflix show, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. Yes. So the rap the rap spoke with a bunch of people who watched the interview live. 
And apparently, a lot of Kanye said a lot of very disagreeable, awful things. Oh yeah, on my stage. guy was out of pocket even back then. But then the producers, Worldwide Pants, cut around to make it a Netflix show that people might theoretically want to watch. It it just kind of adding to this portrait that we've got of like Ye has been doing this for a while and. For a long time, as long as they could, it sort of seems like Hollywood was covering for him. Like people were not talking about it publicly, were kind of trying to edit around or remove things from his interviews to kind of not. And and so until he started very forcefully just saying these things on social media, there was this kind of extended attempt to like round off some of these edges and, yeah. and not let us know. Yeah, so I know in... In this report, he was talking about uh, he, he was uh, talking about Nazis and Hitler on he the said, show. Well, yeah, and he said I, I, I've got I've got all this stuff. He yeah. he said he said that Rihanna may have done something to deserve the domestic abuse she suffered at the hands of Chris Brown. Wow. This was part, this was part of a whole discussion about the Me Too movement that included he feels a lot of personal anxiety about him. He's gonna get Me Tooed. Uh, and he also feels that there is a conspiracy about the origins of the Me Too movement, that there is an underhanded agenda. It's about bringing down prominent men, especially men from the black community, as opposed to protecting women. Uh, he suggested that's that's sort of an international conspiracy. Uh, as you mentioned, he wow. said that because of his support for Donald Trump and wearing a red hat that he was subjected to. People treated him like a Nazi because of wearing the the red hat. Uh, and, and, you know, like just references to a lot of other sort of conspiracy theories. Yeah, apparently and, and, there was praise for uh, Nazis, et cetera, in his TMZ interview as well, where, right, uh, he, that's, where yes, he famously that's, called uh, 400 years of uh, slavery a, 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 a choice. choice. Right. And... Just recently, you know, now it's just like, you know, a drinking game. Every time Kanye says something that is like right, but until he until he went public through his own channels, until he just went on Twitter and started saying, "I'm going Defcon against the Jews." Yes. there were there were there were a lot of efforts to kind of cover for him. He'd been mm -hmm. saying stuff like that for a while, and people were trying to be like, "Ah, let's leave that out." Uh, so anyway, a statement from Letterman's production company, Worldwide Pants, said producers went to great lengths to accurately portray West's comments and that Dave challenged him on each of these controversial statements. So that's what they're saying. That is some must-see TV. Release that. The the un, the undoctored Kanye. I mean, why invite, like, at that Drop point. Drop the Kanye tapes. At that point, you, you got to feel like Letterman's up there on stage like, well, why did I invite this idiot on my, you know, yeah, like, why? Absolutely. You, at that point, you just got to stop inviting him on, on your show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's like, well, you might as well, you know, invite uh, freaking uh, Steve Bannon or Alex Jones or something. Yeah, at least. Uh Let's let's move. I don't want to talk about him anymore. Screw that guy. Yep. Jimmy Kimmel will return as Oscar host for the third time in 2023. Of course, he memorably emceed in 2017 when uh, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty incorrectly announced La oh, La Land. Yes. Uh, instead Moonlight. of Moonlight. He also returned the next year for the 90th edition of the ceremony in 2018. That was the last year there was a host. We've been hostless for the three years since then. So it's really Kimmel was the previous host, and now they're bringing him back for a third stint. 
Kimmel's previous outings were among the lowest rated Oscars of all time, but it only it only got worse. It's only getting left. worse. You have that you had that so, Steven Soderbergh train wreck at the train yeah, station. The, we had well, we had the pandemic years, and then we had you know last year where they they sort of tried to get back, but they also had rotating hosts. You know, Regina oh yeah, King the three hosts. The show. You know, I I, I didn't mind uh, them, and Amy Schumer I thought did a great job, but uh, then you had all anyone was talking about was the slap. I guess. I, I guess Jim, Jimmy Kimmel was their second choice, right? After Chris Rock, <laughs> I, I, they probably did reach out to Chris. Yeah, you, you have to go out to Chris Rock. I, I'd imagine that at least at least that was a discussion, and Chris Rock probably was like, "Nah, I'm I'm good." Oh, fuck uh, that noise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, ABC, like you know, because Kimmel's their guy, so like it's on True. ABC. Kimmel's their late night host, so it makes it makes sense in that way. But Chris Rock is Chris Rock is eyeballs. Chris Rock, yeah. Like, well, I, I mean, that would that would obviously be the what's he gonna say? He's gonna come out and open the show. What's he gonna say? How's he gonna talk about it? You uh-huh. know, everybody's gonna tune in just to see that moment. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like that that would obviously be. I I have to say though. This year feels it feels make it or break it e for the Oscars. I mean, they've they've got to start coming back after a, a a lot of years of sort of people have started to care less and it's become a less prominent show. You would think this would be an opportunity to potentially bring out all the stops. Like it, it could be the entire cast of the Marvel Cinematic Universe hosting the Oscars. Like you could have the Muppets host the Oscars. Yeah, like, you or could, you have the full command of Walt Disney, the Walt Disney Corporation at your at your fingertips. Get Steph Curry to host the Oscars, just like he hosted the ESPYs, ESPN, under their umbrella. And he does that that mini golf show too, right? Isn't oh, that a Steph Curry joint, yeah. Right, you can get, oh, they can get Rob Riggle there. <laughs> yeah, but no, Steph Curry produces that show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the, the, I, I know what you're talking about. What was it called, Big Putt, Putt One, Putt, Big? Putt, Putt, yeah, hole, I don't yeah. remember. Uh, oh, it, holy, moly. One. holy moly! Holy moly! There we go. I think one thing that might help because they talked about d- doing the uh, blockbuster category or whatever it was, and then there was an uproar about separating film and uh, compartmentalizing right, right, yeah. it like that. But in actuality, I the more I think about it, there should really be a stunt category like best stunt sequence or right. something along those lines because I think that would scratch that itch of blockbuster and also it would celebrate an like an under celebrated and under talked about demographic in Hollywood yeah. I I read it I mean obviously I I agree it would be cool to honor the stunt departments I've read a little bit because people keep making this suggestion and the only mm-hmm. the caveat seems to be that it's hard to know who you're honoring like because because when when we talk about the best stunts in a movie, we're really talking about a collaborative effort between, you know, the, the, the second unit team, the the camera department, right. the stunt coordinator and the stunt team, the individual stunt man or stunt performer that does the stunt. So, like, are you giving an award to the is it is it the best? I think the, the way that makes the most sense is like best stunt ensemble and you yeah. give it to the movie's entire stunt team. So you would be saying like. This year, you know, the best stunt ensemble was everybody in the Batman, and you give it to that whole movie's team, as opposed to singling out. As like, opposed to giving it to it Lee hard. Majors, right? Or, or you know, like they, <laughs> the I think we all guy. agree. 
like the the Mad Max Fury Road year, obviously you would have given it to that whole team. And like yeah. every year there's at least one or two movies that really stand out as like, well, that movie Right, had- especially with something like that, it would seem ridiculous not to honor the vision of George Miller and the entire ensemble. Yeah. Right, I think that's where, I think that's where it gets complicated is like, well, there's a lot of elements to a great stunt sequence and it's not just the stunt man and it's not just the stunt coordinator who planned the stunt and it's not just the cameraman who filmed it and it's not just, you know, it's like everybody. Right, so it's how not do you just give Tom Cruise climbing the side of the building with so, the sticky right. gloves. So how, do you, yeah. so how do you give the award? You do, And I'm not saying that's a reason not to give it. I'm just saying like that's a thing we, that's a thing we have to figure out. Absolutely. But I th- abs- that would be worth it because that's, I mean, that's something that populists and uh, cineists alike enjoy. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. HBO canceled Westworld after four seasons. You know uh, what? Creators- bye bye, bye bye. Oh, so oh, long. Not, oh, listen to that. that. Not not upset about the end of Westworld. How no. about Nick? You know what? I tried to get back into this into the second season. I'm like, all right, I'll jump back in, and I'm like, you know what? Nonplussed. I'm out. Too much content. Yeah. I'm gonna watch other I- things. Listen, I I loved that first season. I think it's pretty yeah. good. Uh, I, I think it's been pretty good after that. So, you know, I'm not, I, I I'm not saying it's a bad show and it deserved to be canceled or whatever. But also, this makes some sense to me at this point. I feel like season four brought it to a pretty good end point. The ratings have declined with each successive season, so Just they like are the losing. They are losing people's attention. And so it, it, it makes sense to stop it here. Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, who created it, they did say they had ideas for places to go in season five, potentially, if they wanted to keep going. But I, I think season four actually wrapped it up in a nice way. Like, it, it came to a conclusion. So I feel like it makes sense. But here's a fascinating thing. Uh, yes. they Because of the pandemic and the way the timing worked out, they actually had to renew the cast contracts before season four debuted. Mm. And they didn't know what kind of numbers it was going to get. So they renewed the cast contracts. They made pay-to-play deals with the stars for season five. So even though it's not happening, all the stars are going to get paid anyway. Like Evan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, they're going to make money for season five even though it doesn't get made. Sandaway Newton, cash and checks. Yeah, she's uh, snapping necks and cashing checks. Look at the hair. So uh, yeah, what a what a payday for the uh, the cast of Westworld. Well, good. If I ever want to watch it, I'm glad there will be one less season for me to have to sit through. If I ever want to binge the rest of it. Fair enough. Uh, so moving on, Netflix renewed The Sandman for a second season. Mm. Neil Gaiman, who created the comic book character, he'd been fretting a lot on social media, like, oh, it's. It's so expensive, and I don't know if enough of you watched it. It might mm-hmm. not come back, but Netflix surprised us all, including Neil Gaiman. They've renewed it. They haven't said how many episodes or what arcs or whatever they're going to adapt, just that they're going to continue making more Sandman. You, did you watch season one of The Sandman? I did watch The Sandman. Uh, we actually talked about it one of the shows oh, that's uh, right. where yeah. you were- I don't remember. Uh, I don't pay Where you were on sabbatical here. And uh, yeah, no, I really I really enjoyed it. I thought it's, it's a tough- uh, it's it's a weird universe to bring to light because you're dealing with mortals and these uh, entities that are uh, that, that are uh, anthropomorphized. And uh, I thought they did a, a, a really fun job to make uh, to and to tell the different stories because there are numerous arcs that they fit into this first season. So uh, I, I really uh, I really liked what they did with it. And it, it, uh, it yeah, it was, it's a tough story to put into a package like that. Like, 
you know, sort of, oh, is Sandman unfilmable? But, they, you know, they did it. I thought they did a fine job. But the one thing I will say, I wonder if the outsider can uh, access that material the same way a Sandman devotee would. Did you have any thoughts on that? I read some comics, but so long ago, I like barely even remembered them. So I'm I'm not sure I was really coming in as any kind of category expert. Okay. It, it is it is a complex and heady world, but I also feel like in some weird way there's no rules because it's just dream like it's a dream world. So mm-hmm. it doesn't feel it doesn't have that feeling of like I can't keep all of this straight and how everything works. Like it doesn't I don't think it gets so bogged down in rules upon rules. Yeah. So I think that works in its favor that you could just kind of be like, "All right, listen. I'll just figure it out as we go. It's dream logic and anything is possible." Yes. So I feel like that helps them out in some ways. Like Every fictional thing ever is just real, so go with it. You know, Greek mythology, Christianity, they all exist alongside each other. Everything Uh fake is real. So I think that's an easy enough... (laughs) No, it's true, but, like, that's an easy enough principle that I think it gets you out of a lot of the, like, labored kind of of complexity, if if that makes sense. Like, where you get caught up in a lot of the, like ins and outs of like, here's how this works and here's how this level of reality works. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I just watched a show called Devil's Hour, this this UK thriller. It's on Amazon. Peter Capaldi's in it. Okay. Um, and it it is like, it's another one of these time travel multiverse. There's some kind of moving between realities. But right. they they make it so labored. Every episode is about kind of piecing together what's happening and there's all these like well it here's it's it involves so many different variables and elements it's like well this woman wakes up at 3:30 a 3:33 a.m. every morning and has a prophetic dream and this boy sometimes talks to people who aren't even there and this old woman seems to sometimes slip in and out in between worlds and this guy's having crazy dreams and then this guy's over here and we don't know what kind of reality he's in and like there's just so much and it's constantly coming at you and it's like at a certain point you just it, you get fatigued you're like well there's too much I don't understand and I it's just a lot to keep track of it seems. I'm just gonna kind of shut down and I feel like the Sandman is almost the opposite of that where it's like there, the rules are like I need my jewel, and like that's it. That's the like. There's nothing. Oh. So even even if you don't pay that close attention and you're not like following it it it, it all rigorously, you don't really need to. Uh, I, I, that makes a lot of sense because it's like, all right, it's all a dream, and it's all this dream world and these entities. Uh, I, th- that said, yeah, again, I liked it. I, fu- I feel like it might be a little tough for the uninitiated. I liked having had read uh, some past Sandman. One thing I just want to point out before we move on that I thought was pretty funny about the Sandman, unintentionally funny, did you notice the Samsung product placement in Sandman? No, I didn't actually. Oh, there was one scene that like tipped me off to it and I was like, holy Samsung Galaxy, Batman. It was in the diner scene. You know, the diner, the cl- uh, the classic diner, uh, the classic diner episode uh, where in the comics, uh, 
oh, uh, David Thewlis's character goes and manipulates everyone in the Steiner. Right. I won't spoil yeah. too much of it. But yeah, in the, uh, so David Thewlis's character in Salmon goes to this diner and he kind of controls everyone's lives and he wants, he's just playing puppet master with these human beings. And this girl is making a phone call and she's using that brand new Samsung flip phone, smartphone. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that is so conspicuous in its presence. <laughs> I didn't really in this notice, scene. I guess. It, it blew my mind a little bit. Um, and then as I was watching, like when I was watching like text messages and phone calls come up. I'm gesturing to my phone as I'm doing this for um, this audio medium. Uh, the It was always a Samsung phone. I'm like, I, I don't know. It just kind of like, it was a little, that was a little indelicate to me. I guess but, if you're uh, Samsung, you know, Apple already is making all these shows for their own network where they're putting their own tech in there. So you got to go to, you got to go to Netflix, you know, yep, you got to get, get, you gotta get your show going now. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, more look out for more Sandman. Uh, probably twenty late twenty twenty three, early twenty twenty four, something like that. More like Samsung Man. Hey oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's the uh, yeah you know it's it's a it's a he's 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 the dream. He's very into cutting edge tech. Like, he is. He where's is. where's my sand and my helmet and my tablet and my and my twelve inch Samsung Note. Is this on 5G? Uh, How more than 12 people who were affiliated with the company One Taste are suing Netflix over a new documentary called Orgasm Inc. that they claim invades their privacy. Let's talk about this. Now, some people are calling this company a cult. They promote (laughs) sexual wellness and specifically a practice that they call orgasmic meditation. Does seem to run kind of contrary, don't they? You feel like when you're when you're having an orgasm, you're not meditating. It's like oh. the opposite. Well, sometimes I really gotta concentrate. <laughs> Depends how many drinks I've <laughs> Seems like, yeah, meditation is like the absence of all thought and orgasm is like, you know, no, it's it's you're having some thoughts. You're just have they're specific. Yeah, nature. yeah. Or sometimes you're just out of your mind in another dimension. I guess that's the. It, it, I guess it's like that sting tantra stuff. It's like yeah, kind the of the new version Sutra, of that. That that, that yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Doesn't Sting have three hour orgasms or something? Well, right. But that's. that's I don't think that's meditation. That's tantra. He has right. tantric sex, which is like that that Hindu thing where yeah, you yes. make your orgasms last for for hours. But there's a this spiritual, like the Venn diagram of spirituality right. connection. Um, it's all. Yeah. Made up. Uh, anyway, some of its members are accusing Lon, a. Vid- what if Tantra was? What if we have someone listening yeah, and Tantra it's, it's is their religion? Their religion is. I don't think it's anybody's religion. It's part of your religious practice, maybe. I don't think you just like you don't worship Tantra. That's just like a religious practice. Direct all hate to at Lons on there Twitter. Uh, so some of the members of this uh, community company group, they're they're accusing a videographer named Chris Cosley, who used to work for the company, of mm. taking recordings he made of private sessions, retreats, workshops, classes, and selling them to the producers of the Netflix film Orgasm Inc. The director says she obtained all the movie's footage legally. Now the lawsuit originally they were trying to get Netflix like don't put up this movie. It has us meditating on our orgasms and the judge was like nope, go ahead. So Netflix put the movie up. So it's up now. Right. But they're still trying to get money or maybe get it pulled or something. Yeah, I mean, did they sign releases or I guess right. this I mean, guy was just documenting know. and he's like, 
oh, I got some gold here. Right. I mean, I guess that's probably what it comes down to is whatever form they signed when they took the workshop, let that guy videotape them. And that guy probably owns the rights to the videos. And then he sold them to the filmmaker. So he had the legal right to do that. The filmmakers had the legal right to buy them. These people signed the form. And now they're just like, oh, I didn't know that was going to go into a a documentary. I thought that was just going to be for me or for this company or for our archives. the moral, I don't know how the case is going to work out. I'm not, this is not a legal opinion of mine. I have no thoughts on that. I'm just uh-huh. saying, be careful of what you, when you sign a waiver, you're, you're signing away your rights to that. So this don't be a sign good a waiver. For if, a you, if you're, if you're, if a person's filming you doing something that you might find embarrassing, don't sign a waiver that lets them put it on TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that uh, yeah, would be I, a good, a good rule of thumb. Yeah, uh, uh, Rob Schaefer, uh, our uh, friend and listener in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, he, our resident legal, our resident legal and sous vide expert. He's yes, there, you know he does food stuff and law stuff. Oh yes, a former executive chef. Uh, but yeah, so I wonder. It, it comes down to: was this guy just hired to do this stuff in private for their archives, or did they sign? releases where it's like they knew it could be used for other things so yeah well obviously he was there he was there filming it for this company so yeah i mean obviously they had to sign a release that was like you're okay with this company using this footage and i'm assuming he made sure there was a line in there that he was allowed to sell the footage just to protect himself or else he broke the law there if it was open and shut there wouldn't be a lawsuit you know like it would just they'd be paid off by now so mm-hmm. I'm, the fact the fact that it's still ongoing leads me to believe they don't really have much. Yeah, yeah. But who knows? Like, who, who, we'll, we'll I find mean, out. I mean, as you said, the thing has aired. The, the, yeah, it's, it's out on. there. You can go watch it right now. So if they had a really strong case, you would think you wouldn't be able to go watch it right now. But maybe it'll get pulled down. So you better watch it as soon as as, as soon as you're done with this podcast. Yeah. Turn your car around. Go back to the house. Well, we are going to make this podcast about orgasmic meditation next week as well. Like we're we're going to forget about streaming. Lon and I will be orgasmically meditating. We're going to have an, a, a podcast long orgasm next. Time. Yes, that's it for the news. <laughs> that's it for the news. I got nothing else. Oh, and and an orgasmic news segment. It was Lon. Yeah. Coming up, we watched programs. We'll talk about them, starting with Barbarian, which is newish to HBO Max. Lon, an action horror film dropped on HBO Max recently. You know, horror is a genre where they make the low-budget or micro-budget films that sometimes surprise. And Barbarian was a a pleasant surprise in theaters. It uh, um, got great uh, critical response. It did... Nice numbers at the box office, and now it is up on HBO Max. And uh, I have to say, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was uh, a nice, surprising departure from some normal horror fare. It had a lot of different flavors to it. I know uh, you had some mixed thoughts on it. Uh, I'll I'll just give a quick summation. Uh, a, uh, A woman goes to rent an Airbnb. She finds that it's already occupied. And this Airbnb is housing a chamber of secrets. Nothing to do with Harry Potter, by the way, but uh, it's got a lot of secrets and the, the horror ensues. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think 
This feels exactly like one of those movies where if you saw this at a random festival, if you didn't have any idea going in, and it was just something that was that was playing with no buildup, it would be like, ooh, this was a weird, fun surprise. Like, I didn't know where that was going, and it's got some crazy ideas. And I feel like it played, I get why it played very well at, like, Fantastic Fest. Like, I totally mm-hmm. understand it on that level. But... It got so built up and so hyped that by the time I got to it on HBO Max, it's like it's it's a it's a very minor key pleasure. Like I don't think it's a bad movie. I didn't dislike it. I got I got no major complaints, but it feels like uh like a, the third film in a five scary movie marathon. You'd be like, oh, that was all right. But as a, it, it, on its own merits, I just feel like there's really not that much to it. It 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 feels like. There's a lot of stuff that feels kind of satirical, but I couldn't really tell you what the movie is satirizing in any grand way. And I think the one thing that really undermines it as a movie, not as a, as a horror movie, it works fine. It's spooky. There's a couple scenes that have effective scares. It's creepy. They're, it's kind of darkly funny in spots. It all works. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a movie, like aside from just is it is it spooky fun, is, is it work as a story, I think it asks you to suspend disbelief a few times too many in ways that are too elaborate. I, I, I by the end, I, I felt jerked around by this movie, and I felt like it doesn't really earn some of its leaps in logic. the The main one, and this I don't feel like is a spoiler, so okay. I will I will say it. Uh, just at baseline. The premise of this movie, the very setup, is Mm. a single woman who is not familiar with the city of Detroit books an Airbnb there in a neighborhood she doesn't know without looking it up or finding any information about it. She arrives late at night. The entire street is pitch black. All the other homes are empty and boarded up. She arrives at the one house that's apparently even still a functioning house on the street. She goes there to stay there all by herself. She there's there's no key. There's confusion about getting in. Finally, she gets in. There's another man, a stranger already staying there who claims he got double booked into the house. And after maybe a few minutes of conversation, she's like, all right, I, I agree to stay in the other bedroom. That's ludicrous. The whole premise is ludicrous. You'd be out of there eight times before you'd be in that bedroom in that creepy house in the middle of nowhere. The and and the. There's dialogue. It, it's it's not even that the movie just presents that to you and leaves it. The movie knows that you're going to be dubious. And so it gives them all this dialogue of like, well, there's no there's a convention in town, you see. So there's not going to be it. It tries to, like, make the argument. And it's just like, forget it, man. Like, you can't sell me on that. It's too much. And then later, the more you find out about this house, the more ludicrous this premise becomes. And then by the end, it, it almost feels like a comedy horror thing. Like, it almost feels like a bit. Well, I think there are definite funny moments. Uh, there are there are absolutely right, bi- but the movie's not meant to be a bit. There are funny uh, there, moments. There are the bits within the bit. movie. There are bits within the movie when um, when Justin Long is measure is measuring all those but rooms. But that's a that, like, joke that's a, within the movie. I'm not saying the movie's not a parody. Yeah, it's not the a movie's joke. not a. The movie's not a parody, um, and let, but it is social commentary uh, to a degree. But right, but that's what I'm saying. The, the premise is so ludicrous that it almost feels like it's satirizing the idea of an Airbnb 
Harvey. Uh, I was uh, much more pleasantly surprised by this movie. I really enjoyed the hell out of it because, and it's because there are so many different flavors. Like Lon said, there are some great scares. There's like the epitome of the don't go in the basement moment, which is a horror trope that has been done to death, but this takes it to the next level. I think the interaction between the man and the woman in the in the that you were just talking about initially, it really has you like fighting against your uh like your best sensibilities saying like what is she doing so it it wants to it's evo- it's tr- intentionally evocative in that way and then um it the film departs from what it's set up and it explores a little bit of something that takes place in around the idea of the me too era and then it's it's doing that thing where it like nods in that direction, but yes. it's not it's not really about anything other but than this bit. It's a joke. Like the, the film, I found it to be extremely satisfying in how it pays off what it set up with the when you dig into and unpack the horror that's happening in this house. I found it so gross and so horrifying. Um, the, the, the horror elements that are introduced in the second half of the film, the, the flashback is really satisfying. You know, a lot of times, you know, I don't mean to, this is a, maybe a bad comparison, but that movie that you and I watched, Mr. Harrington's phone, that set something up and never paid it off. Well, yeah, I mean, look, and this is better than, Mr. Better than Mr. Harrington's phone, but, but that I'm was sa- like a complete piece of shit. Yeah, that like, was Let's be honest. And true. that's not even a horror movie. I don't even know what that was. That was a movie about old men complaining about phones. That's that's the new that's a new genre that Mr. Harrington's phone has created. Old people don't like smartphones. <laughs> old cranky men. That's but the that's this, genre. But this movie sets something up and then it pays it off. Like we get I mean kinda. <laughs> uh, I think it definitely does. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Only Listen, if you don't. Only if you don't think about it too hard. Um, it starts to come apart. It all starts. I won't. Like again, we we can't do it without getting into spoilers. But yeah, the more you, it's one of those movies where the more you tug at the loose thread, the more you're like, oh, none of this actually makes any sense. Oh, I, I mean, I thought it was scary. It's a lot of fun and uh, great. Uh, initial first-time directing effort from Zach Kreger, who many of you may know from the TV sketch group, The Whitest Whitest Kids Kids. You Know. Now, now that I do think is notable that two, our two big breakout studio horror films this year, both directed by sketch comedy veterans, because Nope, of course, coming from Mr. Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one thing, I was just talking about this recently, the degree of allegory and that you can accomplish through horror and through comedy uh, are similar. Like if you want to tell a story that represents something else, or if you want to deliver a message to people, horror or comedy are great delivery mechanisms. I think, I think part of it is, is both comedy and horror. Like the reason there's, I think a, a give and take a lot of the time between comedy and horror mm-hmm. is because uh, there, there's so much about reveals. Both, both mm-hmm. comedy and horror are about building up to a reveal, and then the aftermath of that reveal and how you deliver 
on that the promise of that reveal. And while drama can be more about the subtleties or the nuances of relationship, like other genres are about other things. Uh-huh. But comedy and horror are both on some level about how do we kind of lead you down a blind alley? How do we distract you with one hand while this is, we're setting up something else? And then that pull the rug moment, which is the same, whether it's a shock or whether it's a laugh, it's that same, that pull the rug, upend your expectations moment. And I think that you definitely see this in, in Jordan Peele, where his mastery of the, the comic reveal just it, it morphed into a horror movie reveal. Uh-huh. And, it, and it is... It, but it's the same kind of storytelling principle. I Abs- think absolutely. And uh, I, I like to say in comedy and in horror, you say the thing that you wouldn't normally say in real life or you do the thing. So like, you know, when you and I go through our day, we uh, I want to get home without getting in a confrontation, without getting in a road rage incident. But in comedy, you you call the guy the name and you do the thing. In horror, you crash the car. You you go that extra. So, uh, yeah, both have larger than life over the top elements. It's also a it's a it's a thing they say sort of about about actors that as an actor, your goal in a scene is you want to you want to do something that feels correct. You don't want to violate the audience's understanding of who that person is and what they would do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. It has to be surprising. You can't, that like a great performance isn't you just doing everything exactly predictable that we think a person in that situation do. You have to surprise us, but still within that reality of what would this character do in this moment. Right. And I think it's kind of, we're kind of saying the same thing about comedy and horror about yeah. keeping the reality of the situation intact, but still upending what the audience thinks is about to happen. Right. Uh, barbarian. You can find it on HBO Max. Worth checking out, and it's better than uh, Juan is saying it is. It's better than the one about Donald Sutherland keeping his phone after Absolutely he dies. better than <laughs> the uh, the flaccid Mr. Harrington. Yeah, phone. renewing your friends and family plan even after <laughs> your friends have gone. Worst, one of the worst things, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It was bad. You can hear, you can hear us shit on it on the this past episode of uh, Binge Boys. If you hasn't, just, just if you, you got to be that. out of your mind. Come on. Yeah. Uh, we also watched a documentary on new to Hulu. God forbid. God yeah. forbid. Uh, this is one of those Billy, the guy who did uh, Cocaine Cowboys. Billy Corbin uh, did this one. Yes. Yes. And uh, this documentary tracks the relationship between Jerry Falwell Jr., who was the president of Liberty University, and his wife, and essentially a pool boy from a fancy hotel in Miami. And yeah, the Fontaine, the Fontainebleau. The Fontainebleau. And it, it it brought it brought down uh, the Falwell dynasty to an extent. Well, yeah, he had he had to uh, retire from his position at Liberty University, the university founded by his father, Jerry Falwell, uh, after it was revealed that, yeah, he liked to watch his wife, Becky, uh, have sex with this yeah, guy. He, he, he liked to get cucked. Giancarlo Granda. Uh, yes. Yeah, he liked to, uh, he was into cuckoldry. And yes. uh, I, I, listen, it, it's, I, you gotta love Bill, Billy Corbin's approach. He, he makes these very entertaining, these very kinds of, 
salacious, fun-to-watch, expose-style documentaries. They're always going on. There's a lot of crazy tangents. There's always, like, links back around to politics in some way. Mm -hmm. Oh, this one does big time. uh, I'll talk more about that. Yeah. But they're so entertaining. Like, they're so relentlessly paced, and he's just so good at making them, you know, telling these stories in a way that is compelling that, yeah, you just get pulled through. Like, they're over before it feels like it's even begun, really, I feel like. Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this. And part of it is it's it's so delicious to see hypocrites just get torn asunder. And not only do you see how this golden boy, who is the the son of the, uh, the patriarch of a movement, like a huge movement, the moral majority, uh, Jerry Falwell uh, was uh, such an influential figure in politics and conservative thought in the 70s and 80s, and just seeing how he, uh, in his personal life, he was the antithesis of what he was supposed to be. But you uh, you, you see how the, the negative behaviors just festering behind the scenes. It was- I, yeah, there's there's a fascinating, I feel like we've seen, it's, it's in the Donald Trump era, I think it makes a lot of sense to explore this as a concept. The, the idea that, there's a kind of self-righteousness where eventually you just it you you the narrative you tell yourself is I'm the good guy. I, I'm the hero of the story. And uh-huh. so anything that benefits me is inherently good, is inherently like righteous, even if I'm doing conventionally what we think of as like bad things. And and to the point that I, I can really believe that I can like it, it infuse that into my own mindset. Like I think a show like The Righteous Gemstones is really good at depicting yeah how that mindset works. Or Tim Heidecker in his show On Cinema I think uh-huh. has a character that is because it's this is Donald Trump. Like this is how he understands his world is like whatever I do, even if I'm lying. Like we all know lying is wrong. Donald Trump knows that conventionally. Lying is wrong. That's the bad thing to do. But in his mind, he's doing good things to the point that he's on the right side. So even if he has to lie to advance his agenda, it's okay. That's a morally justified lie because it's helping the right side win. And I think that's what this movie, like by digging into the fall, that's the Falwell mindset. And I think that's what this movie is so much about is it, it, there is a point where you can get so high on your own supply, uh-huh. you can get so convinced of your own importance and self-righteousness that it allows you to do literally anything and still feel like I'm I'm justified. I'm on the, the right side of this. Yeah, Liberty University. What, what, what did they call the list of do's and don'ts? The uh, Liberty Rules or something like that. Like you're not allowed, you're not allowed premarital sex. You're not allowed to drink on campus. You're not allowed all this stuff. And then it turns out that not only was Jerry Falwell Jr. being like a bad Christian, but he was the president of this university and he was going against like all of this doctrine. Uh, but and so, but flouting it in the face, like they said, he was walking around campus with uh, with a squeeze bottle filled with uh, watered down tequila just like staying drunk that's exactly the kind of thing i mean that that yeah he got to a a point where right like 
he was so convinced of his own sort of fundamental righteousness that, yeah, even things that we all know are not the ways a Christian university president would act. But it, it, it seemed, you know, it seemed okay because it was like, well, but I'm a good guy in the grand scheme, you know? Yeah, and it does a great job of telling actually two stories. The story of, uh, what is it, Giancarlo Grande? Uh, yeah. And, 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 the, and the Falwells and their uh, weird menage a trois and, and how, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and how uh, those were precipitated. But then also, I really liked how it explores Jerry Falwell, who was one of the most famous, like you have like Billy Graham, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, like those are the guys who influenced uh, generations of Americans in their religious thought and their Christianity on television with their ministries. Uh, But it goes back to show how like the very early Jerry Falwell, dude was a straight up white supremacist. Um, so much of what he did just is dark and insidious. And you see that Jerry Falwell Jr., he essentially gave Donald Trump his first big endorsement that led to him uh, like just getting his whole coalition of religious leaders together that allowed him to be a viable Republican candidate. So the Falwells, have they are push they are pushing America towards fascism <laughs> with their behavior and they that's really spelled out at the end of this documentary which I enjoyed the inclusion of uh, a little bit heavy handed politically yeah I mean like like Corbin's movies are not subtle but I don't know like I I feel like that kind of works in his favor I thought it was like, earned I thought it was yeah. earned yeah. Uh, so it's salacious sexually. It's got some uh, political stuff to chew on, and uh, yeah, worth checking out. I, I just you you hear you hear the you know I think we all heard the sort of rough outlines of what happened. You know mm-hmm. that like they they were a couple. He he enjoys watching his wife with uh, other men, uh, and you know I think we we all heard that. But when you really dig into the details, it's so messed up, and there were so many yes. boundary pushing moments where they were just asking for creepy things or it was like come hang out with our whole family and our children this weekend and oh it yeah just, they kept compounding how weird and creepy and deviant it was and i think that it, it's just an interesting story it is it's totally unnerving very cringy the way uh just um i forget what jerry falwell jr's wife's name was it was uh becky uh, becky becky yeah just that behavior um, it's, it's just unhinged <laughs> much of it. Uh, yeah. So it's fascinating. And, and like Lon was saying, it, it's a story that was out there. Like it was, it was on the news. It was in, you know, you've seen it on slate and Huff post, but, uh, this is a, a, a solid telling of that and the history of the Falwells and their influence on America. God forbid is available on Hulu. And finally, uh, Lon and I checked out at least some of I the, watched all of them. I, I've watched three of them. I've watched three of them. The anthology series Cabinet of Curiosity on Netflix. I believe uh, it's called Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, Hal. It's his a, cabinet. A, a, apologies it's, to— uh, It's not just a cabinet. It's his personal cabinet. 
Apologies to Guillermo. Yes, Guillermo del Toro is essentially our Alfred Hitchcock in this Alfred Hitchcock Presents type uh, anthology series where we explore these, uh, I believe it's eight um, uh, horror slash mystery stories that last anywhere from a half hour to an an hour. Mostly like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, somewhere in that pocket, yeah. And, uh, you know, these are nice bite-sized treats. It came out right before Halloween, so it was perfect in time for spooky season. But you know what? You know what I learned, Lon? You can watch spooky stuff even if it's not spooky season. You are allowed to watch spooky stuff whenever you want. That's true. I, That's I, true. I enjoy horror the whole year round, and, and, and you certainly can too. Uh, I loved this show. I thought this was really amazing. It, it, it really does. It, it feels like it's got that Tales from the Crypt kind of vibe of like yes. it's bringing in great directors, great actors. They're having fun. It's these really weird, creepy, dark. It's not, and it's not afraid to get gross and scary. Like it's not, it's not TV horror. They're really going for it. It's really gross and creepy and weird and dark. And some of the episodes get really strange and unsettling. And I really appreciate it. And even dramatic, like the murmuring Jennifer Kent's episode. She did the Babadook. It, it mm. really works as drama almost as well as it does horror. Like it really is exploring a lot of interesting issues and Andrew Lincoln's in it and really great. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I like how it, it sort of branched out to a few different genres, a few different styles. There's a lot of practical effects too, which is great. Like the monster designs are really cool. You watch the second episode, Graveyard Rats. Yes. Uh, that like all those, they built these real, you know, animatronic, disgusting rat creatures. Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Very fun. And you're exploring a lot of uh, horror archetypes, but yeah, like, uh, you know, um, you know, grave robbers or Satanists or, but it's done really well in a fun, unexpected style. Yeah, like Lon was saying, the effects were great. I just, uh, I I just finished the third episode right before uh, we were recording. And yeah, great actors. Like you and I have talked before about Glenn Turman. Um, yeah, uh, great and actor. F. Murray and, Abraham. And F. Murray really Abraham. Just like, just a delight to watch on top of the fact that like F. Murray Abraham is performing these like fairly graphic autopsies. And yeah, it's, uh, it, it really is like these, and they're, they're so fun and bite-sized. It's like, oh, they're over before you know it. And it's super, super watchable, super bingeable. And it, and it does have, like you were saying, the Tales from the Crypt vibe, the old school, like, you know, a little bit Twilight Zone, a little bit, uh, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, where it's like, ooh, yes, what treat are you are, are you presenting to us now, Mr. Del Toro? Yes, let us into your cabinet of curiosity. It's got that fun throwback vibe to it that I really like as well. Uh, so eight episodes, you can, you know what? Try one on for size. Uh, who was the star of the first one? At uh, oh, Buster uh, Scruggs. Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Lot Blake Nelson. Is the first yes, one. Um, you, you may know him as Buster Scruggs. Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> you probably don't know him as Buster Scruggs. I, I know him as Buster Scruggs, but you may know him as Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, yeah, uh, super fun. Like that one. I think it's just uh, yeah. Jump in, and and you'll probably want to keep going. Guillermo del Toro's 
Cabinet of, is it cabinet of curiosity or curiosities, yeah. plural? Curiosities. There's multiple. There's eight curiosities. In there's it. eight curiosities in Guillermo del Toro's in se- cabinet. In season one. Maybe we'll come back and we'll have even more curiosities. It should. It, it should. Uh, like I said, it, it came, perfect time. It dropped uh, in October. and uh, But you yeah. can watch it. It doesn't it have to be October. October. You got it there. You don't have to watch it in October because you can watch. No, you're as I just to, learned it, from still, It's still it's still online even now. Do, do you think they should pull all horror movies off streaming? Do you remember when Quibi first and, launched? There was going to be. They never ended up doing it. I don't think. Maybe they ended up there. Spielberg was going to produce a show, and the bit was it was only going to be available to stream at night. Like you'd have to wait for the sun to no. set. No, and then the show goes up on Quibi. But if you don't get to it by morning. It's gone until the next night. It's like, ha, I get it, but like, shut, shut the fuck up. Like, how fucking annoying. Just, just put the show on when I want to watch it. It would really have to deliver the goods if it was going to be that tough to watch. Going back to like cable television, and I got like, be home at seven thirty to watch your program. Yeah. It's like, ah, the fuck you. Like, same bat time, same bat channel. How about when I'm ready, you put your show on. Listen, you can watch it when you're ready. Cabinet of Curiosities, it's uh, there on Netflix if you are so inclined. And these are the programs we've watched for this week. Uh, hoot, hoot. Where my gahooligans at? Hashtag Owl Nation. Uh, thank you, Starburns Audio, for having us. Thank you, Travis Reeves, for producing us. Thank you, Jason K for giving us some sweet opening licks. Lon Harris... Do you want to tell them anything at all? Uh, find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. Cat's the best place to keep up with what I'm working on. You can uh, read the Inside uh, streaming newsletter every day just by going to inside.com slash streaming. That's where to sign up, and you can just see all the posts. You don't even have to sign up. You can just see all the posts that I'm doing from right there on that inside.com page. Also, if you check out this week's critically acclaimed podcast, I fill in for Mr. William Bibiani. He has a lair. Unfortunately, he has lost his voice this week. He's stricken with a case of laryngitis. No. Uh, so I sat in with Whitney Siebold and we review uh, all of this week's films. Oh, very nice. Very Whitney nice. Seibold? I think it might be Seibold. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I, I feel like he's corrected me before and now I've purposefully forgotten. Oh boy! Well, uh, I won't. T- I won't tell anyone. Thank you. He doesn't listen to this, so that's fine. Great. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I, I that inside streaming. It's a it's a great resource. I was uh, enjoying pulling stories from that when when you were away, Lon. Um, oh, what good, a guy! Good, I, good, I good work there. That. Good work there. Uh, and you can find me at Hal Rutnick on Twitter and Instagram. And please go ahead if you are on Twitch. Go ahead and check out twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. And I am streaming there all the time. Just uh, a little comedy, a little pop culture, movie watch-alongs. Come by. We'll have some fun. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye now. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.